0: At Major League Baseball games, there are lots of opportunities to interact with the high-energy action. Cheering, doing the wave, getting on the jumbotron, and attempting to catch foul balls have become the standard for fans across the country. New York City resident Zach Campbell has made a name for himself as a ball-catching phenomenon. Since the age of 12, Zach has accumulated over 10,000 baseballs from Major League games in North America. His ball collection not only exceeds that of any other baseball fan in history but it celebrates many prominent baseball moments. He caught the Mets' last home run at Chase Stadium in 2008, Alex Rodriguez's 3,000th career hit in 2015, and Zach snagged the Reds infielder Alex Blandino's first career home run in May of this year. Hi, I'm George Boracke, and this is Cityscape. I caught up with Zach in Riverside Park to learn more about how his childhood hobby of catching baseballs grew to become the famed career he holds today. Zach Hampel, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. My pleasure. Thank you. So how long have you been catching baseballs now at major league stadiums? I got my first
1: baseball in 1990 when I was 12. So this is my 29th year of catching baseballs, but I didn't really get into it until 92. That's when my parents gave me permission to ride the subway to and from Shea and Yankee Stadium on my own, even on school nights as long as I got my homework done and I woke up the next day. So I was 14 then and it really took off at that point.
0: How well do you remember
1: catching that very first ball? I remember it very well. Unfortunately, I don't remember who I got it from. I know that it was a player on the Mets and it was thrown to me during batting practice in the right field corner. I think field box 179 for those of you who really remember Shea Stadium well. And it wasn't difficult athletically to catch it. I was always a good player. It was tossed from maybe 20 feet away, but it was so exciting at the time. And I've remembered that excitement throughout the years. Where did you grow up? I'm a native New Yorker, so I've lived in Manhattan
0: my whole life. But you went to Shea, not Yankee Stadium as a kid mostly? I
1: went to both. I grew up as a Mets fan, but I just loved baseball. And I went whenever I could, which was really only... A couple times a year, maybe, because nobody in my family cares at all about sports. My dad would read the New York Times sports section and think of himself as an enlightened sports fan. And I'm, I mean, just to give you an example, he, I think sometime around the year 2006... He must have seen some article, and he's like, "Have you heard of this guy Albert Pujols? He's incredible." I'm like, "Yeah, Dad. He's been around for five years, and he's in all." And he's like, "Oh my goodness, well, you know, like that's what kind of sports fan he was."
0: That being said, then, <laughs> to what do you attribute your great interest in baseball?
1: I'm really not sure. My dad liked it; he appreciated it, but he didn't really care or obsess over it. And I was just always super athletic and active as a kid, and baseball was what I gravitated towards. I. I played a lot of soccer and tennis and I skied when I was really little and I knew that there was this thing called Major League Baseball but I didn't really play a whole lot. And I just took to it naturally, I mean basketball you have to be 7 feet tall and football you have to be 7 feet wide and hockey you have to have been born in Canada and enjoy pain. But baseball was just this thing that I could play as a normal sized American kid and the game itself is just very appealing, Um, just the specific athletic challenges. Growing up, did you want to be a Major League Baseball player? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That That was my lifelong dream. It's still my dream, but I think open tryouts are closed to people over the age of 25. I don't know if I could lie about that and sneak in, but that's probably my biggest regret in life is that I did not end up playing Major League Baseball. So let's fast forward to today. How many baseballs have
0: you caught to date? 10,495. Wow. More than 10,000 baseballs. That's absolutely incredible. It's
1: uh, it's quite a few. Um, some people call it a passion or an obsession or a sickness. I think all of that is accurate. And just to be fair, those baseballs are not all during games. Most of them have come my way during batting practice and other warm-ups. A lot of thrown balls home run balls, foul balls, caught on the fly, grabbed out of the seats, balls from groundskeepers, balls from the home plate umpire when he walks off the field and grabs a couple from his pouch and flips them up. So I'll, I'll get him any which way I can. I just don't accept baseballs from other fans who, believe it or not, often offer me baseballs. They want to contribute to my collection. And I say, no, 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 it has to be from a player or some kind of stadium employee, someone who's paid to be there. So I've accumulated
0: quite a lot. (laughs) At what point did you decide to make this a thing, though? It's one thing to catch a ball at a stadium, but another thing to do what you do. When did you decide to actually strategically start catching balls?
1: I had no clue what I was doing when I was six years old and went to a game for the first time. And it, I didn't get my first ball till I was 12 because I saw an article in a baseball card magazine that talked about how to maximize your day at the stadium. And one thing it said was attend batting practice. And I did, and I got my first two baseballs that day. So that was like the first light bulb that went off. It's like, okay, you got to get there early. And in 1992, when I really started going, I started developing some tricks. I just kind of stumbled into it. For example, I remember proudly wearing my Mets jacket running into Shea Stadium early in the 92 season, for batting practice. Braves right fielder David Justice was out on the field shagging baseballs, and I called out to him when he fielded a ground ball, asked him to throw it to me, and he turned and cocked his arm back like he was going to throw it, and then stopped mid-motion and said, I'm not going to throw you a ball if you're wearing a Mets jacket. And so... I thought to myself, wow, I'm pretty stupid, that makes sense. So the next day I took off my jacket before I ran in, he was out there again, I asked him for a ball, he didn't recognize me and he threw it to me. So it was sort of like another aha moment. And I took it a step further by starting to acquire baseball caps of the different teams in the league. And I realized that if I could dress neutrally and get players to respond well, what if I actually dressed like I was a fan of their team? and the baseball started pouring in. So there were lots of discoveries like that when I was 14, 15. And now I've shared all my strategies in books, my blog, my YouTube, so kids out there who've never been to a game can really research it and get a good idea of what they're doing by checking out my stuff. And the first time they go, they can get a whole bunch of baseballs. So you know, for me, I enjoyed the discovery process, but that's kind of how it came about, very slowly. So beyond
0: having jerseys and hats for every team, what are among your other strategies for snagging Major League Baseballs? For catching batted balls, the key
1: is having some room to maneuver. And that might sound simple enough, but you'd be amazed how many people just don't even think about that. Everybody always wants to cram into the front row in batting practice because they think oh, the players will see me and I'm closer to the field, so I have a better chance. But if everybody's in the front row and they hit one five feet to your left, you can't move because the front row is packed. So for batting practice, I like to stay five or 10 or sometimes even 20 rows back, depending on the stadium. If it's a very shallow outfield wall, guys can really launch it deep. And it's all about having lateral mobility. Same thing during games as well. Some stadiums are sold out, often or all the time, but for the places that aren't, if your ticket is in the third row and it's crowded but the sixth row is empty, go move back a few rows. The ushers aren't going to yell at you. And I look for the walkways, the tunnels, the standing room areas,
0: any place where I can move left and right, and that's really the key. Now, is it true that you will sometimes buy more than one ticket to a game so you can move around? On occasion,
1: I will do that. I've, I've bought as many as three tickets in three different spots. I only did that once, the day that I was going for my 10,000th ball in Baltimore last year. I I just needed to get it done that night. The weather was crappy. I knew there wasn't going to be batting practice and I wanted to be able to go everywhere I wanted and not be hassled by stadium security. So I, you know, I spent like $200 on tickets for a rainy night in late August that nobody cared about when I could have gotten in for like 10 bucks, but you know, it's what I do. So that's how I justify it.
0: How meticulous are you in keeping records of all the balls that you have caught? I mean, you know the number, obviously, but how meticulous are you? I'm very detailed in
1: how I keep track of this. Unfortunately, I don't know exactly how many games I went to, but I do know the exact number of baseballs. And it's it's pretty simple. I mean, I, I have my grand total, and when I come back from a game with a bunch of balls, I just add that number to my lifetime total. But I keep so many stats, um... Every game I go to, I mean, starting in 1993, I started tracking every game, the number of balls, the attendance, because I find it interesting to see how the crowd size affects my performance, whether or not there was batting practice. I have a separate list of every player and coach that's ever thrown me a ball that that I was able to identify. Sometimes if, if a guy is wearing a, a warm-up shirt over his jersey and I can't see his uniform number and he throws me a ball from 100 feet away and maybe he's a September call-up. I have no idea who it is, but every guy that I can identify, I have a list of that. Uh, I have a list stadium by stadium, how many balls I've gotten, how many games I've been to, you know, how many game home runs, how many foul balls during games. So many, many lists.
0: Yeah. Now you've visited every major league stadium in this country, right? I have been to every major league stadium multiple times. What was your largest take in any
1: one game? 36 balls, in Cincinnati on my 34th birthday. And it's interesting, I, I realized then that it was the first time and since then the only time that I've ever outsnagged my age. What stadium do you prefer most? Is there one in particular? I think actually Cincinnati right now would be my favorite because they open so early, they don't get big crowds. It's really easy to hit home runs there so baseballs fly all over the place. So I think Cincinnati right now oh well, I don't think I know it is the easiest place to get a baseball in the major leagues. I do love Camden Yards. I love the configuration and the setup. There's a lot of room to spread out and again very easy to hit home runs there. I always have a good time at Camden, but they don't open as early. There is a larger pre-game crowd there for whatever reason a higher percentage of fans show up early there and there are some regulars there who are really talented that give me a good run for my money, so it's not as easy to pile up big numbers, but I do love that place. And what's the most challenging place to snag a ball? I would probably say AT&T Park in San Francisco. They had a sellout streak there for years, and it's still very crowded, and there is a bigger culture of ball hawking there than at any other stadium, where you just have Dozens of grown men that show up with their gloves for batting practice, and they're all regulars, and they're all good at climbing over the bleacher benches, and they can all judge and catch fly balls. So it's really tough. It's sort of cutthroat out there. I do love the configuration of that stadium, though. If the Giants ever really suck for many years in a row, and the crowds just fizzle out to under 20,000, that place is going to be paradise. For right now, my personal least favorite stadium is City Field just based on the configuration and how many rules there are with security and just some other factors. So, you know, that can change from year to year. City Field was one of my favorites when it first opened because it opened earlier and there weren't big pregame crowds and security was more laid back. So back in the day at City Field, if I didn't get 10 balls in batting practice, it was a failure. And now if I get three
0: or four, it's like, wow, I did pretty well. You caught the last home run at Shea Stadium before it closed down. How big of a deal was that for you? Well, I'm going to
1: correct you slightly. It was the last Mets home run at Shea Stadium. Unfortunately, the Marlins dashed my dreams by hitting a couple after that. I think Dan Ugla and Wes Helms went yard, if those are the right names. But, yeah, the last Mets homer, that's my favorite ball that I've ever snagged. And I've I've gotten some big ones. Alex Rodriguez's 3,000th hit. Mike Trout's first career home run. I caught a Barry Bonds homer, a Derek Jeter homer, three grand slams. And the final Mets homer at Shea is really my, my number one of all time. I've never been more excited about any baseball that I've caught than that
0: one. You mentioned catching A-Rod's 3,000th hit, a home run. You received a whole lot of attention for that catch. Yeah, and not all of it was
1: positive. In fact, most of it was negative at the start but yeah it's weird how one moment really dwarfed the previous 20 years that I had done and it's still in a way my defining moment I think when a lot of times when people come up to me they say like oh you're the guy that that got that A-Rod ball some people say you're the guy that got the Jeter ball and I'm like no or like, you're the guy that got A-Rod's 500th home run. Nope, it was a different one. But yeah, I I was at the center of attention in a huge way. And it was so ugly for a while that I actually wondered if I had it to do all over again, would I have even picked that ball up off the ground. So what was ugly about that experience for those not familiar with that story? I made the mistake the day before A-Rod hit that ball of saying something snarky and rude about him on Twitter. Some random kid asked me what I would do with the 3,000th hit ball if I got it and would I give it to A-Rod and I said something rude and uncalled for thinking that you know, 11 people would see it and there'd be a comment or two and ha 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 and then the moment would pass and then 24 hours later I ended up getting the ball and the first person that I spoke to at the time was my girlfriend. And one of the first things she said was, hey, about that tweet you posted yesterday. And I was like, oh, bleep, bleep, bleep. (laughs) And I went to delete it and it already had 129 retweets. And it was screenshotted and plastered all over the media. And it just, it was a bad look, you know? And and people's first impression of me was like, who's this guy that's just dissing A-Rod and being rude? And it was weird. In a story about... A rod who people absolutely hated the year before. I mean, there were Yankee fans actually stomping his jersey in the street. I have a video of that. Somehow, I became the villain. But I said some other stupid things, like, you know, I came out saying that I wasn't going to give the ball to him, and he was welcome to come visit me and see it, and we can go play catch with it in Central Park. Like I was, I was just kind of caught. I got caught up in the moment, and I was trying to be funny, and it just came off as being. Obnoxious, so I, I dug myself into a hole, but there were also a lot of lies and just misinformation that was spread, and that became the narrative. It was It was pretty bad for a while. You did return the ball in the end. I did. I had the baseball in my possession for two weeks, but it was really it was really the first night that I had it that I realized that I was probably going to give it to him because I met with the Yankees president Randy Levine who had heard about my charitable efforts through baseball, and he suggested that if it would help me decide what to do with the ball, the Yankees would consider making a sizable donation to my favorite children's baseball charity. Which is Pitch In for Baseball. Pitch In for Baseball, yeah. They provide baseball and softball equipment to underprivileged kids and communities all over the world, just to help kids play ball and, you know, to, to have a positive impact in their lives. So I kind of knew then, like, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do. But it took several days of talking with the Yankees and getting the director from the charity in there with them face-to-face to discuss it, to actually work out a deal. And by the time that a deal was made, the Yankees left on an eight-day road trip. And the Yankees wanted to have a press conference with me and A-Rod at the stadium where I presented the ball, and they presented a large oversized check to the charity and all the media, and so that's why the process took so long. And people were really angry at me during those two weeks. I, I got accused of making the Yankees hold a press conference. You know, Forbes magazine published an article online during these two weeks after I already had a deal with the Yankees. And the article was titled something like Memorabilia leeches are ruining the sport. And it was basically about me and how greedy and selfish and awful I was. And I couldn't even respond publicly because the Yankees didn't want the, the press conference to leak. They wanted to be the ones to announce it. So I, I was just basically sitting there taking abuse on a national stage, really an international stage, because there were headlines about this all over the world. And
0: I just had to keep quiet and, you know, not get too down about the whole thing. Yeah. How do you face the criticism? Because there has been other criticism. Folks have accused you of being too overzealous. There have been accusations that you've knocked people over. How do you answer those critics? Uh, Well, I've blocked
1: over 1,300 people on Twitter. Anybody who falsely accuses me of being aggressive toward other fans instantly gets blocked. Because I've never knocked down anybody in my life. um, And I never would. It's just not my style. And... I just tell people, you know, watch my videos, come see me in person, watch me for five minutes or for the next five years and you'll never see me bump into, bump into anyone. I actually thought about tweeting out like an offer for a reward, whether it was going to be like $10,000 or $100,000, if anybody can provide video evidence of me knocking someone down. And I didn't do it because I don't want to encourage people to intentionally jump in my way when i'm moving for a ball while their friend is secretly filming you know i don't i don't need to be set up but it's just it's never happened and i give away the majority of my baseballs at this point and i just try to be a positive influence in the baseball world i try to be generous i share my knowledge with people you know just today i got a google news alert about myself where i was referred to as like they use the word dream killer. You know, the, the idea being that I'm out there catching balls and depriving all these children of, you know, their their fantasy moment of catching a ball. And, you know, I, I clicked on that writer's name. His Twitter handle was there. He has, like, 112 followers, and I blocked him. I could respond. I could ignore it. But it's just like, you know what? If you're going to be a jerk, then you don't have the privilege to see what I say. And, I don't know, I just... I try to ignore a lot of the cri- the criticism at this point um, but it, it's, it does bother me that there's still a negative perception when in fact what I do
0: is overwhelmingly positive. How do you describe what you do? Is it a hobby? Is it a career? How do you describe it?
1: It's both really but it's it's very much a career at this point. I mean I still love it. But I have a YouTube channel now that's monetized and that is my main source of income that funds my life. So, How many subscribers do you have now? I think about 278,000. And I seem to be gaining hundreds every day. There was a four-day stretch last month when I gained more than 1,000 subscribers every day. So I'm still trying to figure out the algorithm and what affects it, but it's heading in a great direction. And part of me is still the 12-year-old kid that's excited about catching a ball for the first time. Yeah, I was going to ask you that question. Do you still get excited when you snag a ball? I get so excited. My heart races when a ball even flies in my direction. You know, I I spend a lot of time sitting behind the corner outfielders, and there are multiple times during a game when the batter will hit a foul ball that shoots back over the protective screen, but the way it, it goes up and angles off the bat for a split second... You can't tell if it's coming at you or, or going away from you, and I flinch, and I've noticed that the outfielders will sometimes flinch as well. And I'm just so amped up and ready for every single ball to fly my way, and it's still a huge thrill. And I remember, you know, I remember when I first started to get some media attention, and when my first book was published, and I I remember having this feeling of like, wow, I can't believe that. Other people actually care about me catching baseballs. It was just always such a singular solo pursuit before the Internet, and I didn't have any friends, and I was at games alone all the time just trying to catch balls. It was me versus the baseball, and somehow it, it keeps evolving and growing, and now it's this thing where so many people are invested in me and how many balls I catch and they get a lot out of it too and I hear from people that say that they just aren't able to travel to stadiums whether they live too far away or if it's the time or the money or family obligations and they live vicariously through me and they love to check out the ballparks and it's amazing that my dweeby little hobby that I started doing as a kid has grown to this point and seems to affect so many people in a positive way I'm just so
0: pleased and thankful for that You mentioned that you have given many of your balls away, but what have you done with all of the balls you've kept? Where are they? They're
1: mostly in storage, not too far from where I live in Manhattan. And a lot of them are in barrels, these big sort of recycling bins. They're 32 gallons, and each one holds 400 balls, so I have like 15 of those full. And it just makes me happy to have all those baseballs um, you know from a from a career standpoint it's helpful because being interviewed by the media a lot of times they they want to see the baseballs and photograph me and film me with them and I, I built a pyramid with thousands of baseballs I guess that was was that a couple years ago at this point and that has I think over 600,000 views on YouTube so that's earned some money like I just couldn't do certain things without having a large number of baseballs but I'm still hopeful that I'm going to have kids someday, and I hope that they'll like baseball and I hope that they'll appreciate having all those balls. My dad was a bat boy for a minor league team way back in the day, which Warren Spahn actually played for, and my dad said that they used to give him all the old balls and he had hundreds of them, and I was like, well, cool, let's see him, let's go play, and he's like, well, I didn't save them, I didn't know I was going to have a baseball crazed kid someday. And so I feel like I owe it to my potential future children to at least hang on to a great number of baseballs. What do your parents think about what you have created with all of this? Well, um, I think my parents were deeply concerned about me for many years when I was a teenager, and I really wasn't interested in anything else in life other than baseball. And I didn't have many friends, I just wasn't getting along with people. And I think, you know, when my first book came out in 1999, I was still in college, and I think that's when they realized, like, okay, like this is actually a thing, and it's a big, it's a big deal at large, rather than just something that Zach is obsessed with. And it's, you know, every. I think my mom has remained skeptical over the years, but she, she finally gets it now. You know, when I, when I tell her yeah, this is how much money Google just gave me for the last month for my videos. She's like, wow, you know, it's like she realizes it's a living. So I think their perception of it has changed. And I think the public's perception of it has changed as well. I I think it used to be a very niche hobby that, you know, that people thought only like weird basement dwelling guys did and knock children over. And I think I've made it mainstream and shown how positive it can be, and that's that's a great feeling. How
0: costly is it for you? You travel to do this, you have to get tickets to games, etc. I have spent tens of thousands
1: of dollars each of the last few years since starting to do the YouTube stuff full-time. And... A great amount of that money is hiring a videographer to be with me at all times and paying for his travel. I was
0: going to ask you about that because those videos are very well put together.
1: Thank you. Yeah, the the guy that I work with, he's a true professional and he's amazing at filming and he's amazing at editing and you might think, well, how fun could it be to watch a video of a grown man running around a stadium catching balls? But there's so much more to it than that. Every video has a narrative arc from the beginning of the day outside the stadium where we do an intro and I talk about what I'm looking forward to and what I'm expecting you know through batting practice wandering around afterwards exploring the stadium eating weird food interacting with players and fans and employees giving game updates getting really cool shots of guys warming up in the bullpen and then even after the game doing a closing so there's there's so much stuff that happens in the course of a day and he really weaves it together well and layers up the the video and the audio and it's just yeah he's masterful so he makes me look good and the the tickets to the games that's that's the least of it you know I spend more money on hotels and more money on flights and rental cars than I do tickets you can get into a stadium for i mean there were there were 5 dollar tickets one day in pittsburgh i was there not too long ago and I bought two tickets, we were in the stadium for 10 bucks.
0: But uh, you know that's just a, a teeny fraction of what the whole day cost. Have you ever thought about quitting? Have you ever thought, okay, I have more than 10,000, time to stop? You know, baseball is, is not the most important thing in my
1: life, um, and I, I realized that actually recently, somewhat recently, I was, just, I was in the happiest relationship of my life. And just in love in a way that I'd never experienced, and baseball suddenly stopped mattering as much. And for the first time, I was like genuinely happy to skip games and to spend more time with this person away from stadiums. And I sort of knew that that was possible, but having finally experienced it, it's sort of like you know, that's that's more of my priority in life. Like I'd rather I'd rather find a a fulfilling relationship and find a life partner than snag 20,000 balls but I think I think both are possible but I definitely I I definitely feel myself being pulled in other directions now more than I used to be Zach
0: thanks so much for your time thank you Zach Hampel has nearly 300,000 subscribers on YouTube and 35,000 followers on Twitter He's written three books, How to Snag Major League Baseballs, Watching Baseball Smarter, and The Baseball. In addition to his socials, check out Zach's website, ZachHampel.com, to learn more about the king of snagging. And keep your eyes peeled the next time you're at a baseball game. You might see Zach in the stands doing what he does best. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Big thanks to producer Fiona Shea. And thank you so much for listening.